0: That, but it was also the idea that the woman will do whatever boring thing any man wants. What party are they having? They're sitting around <laughs> in a so <laughs> asylum. Jesus <laughs> Christ,
1: you disintegrated Einstein, disintegrated Einstein, <laughs> Einstein.
0: Welcome to Science of the Movies, a podcast that looks at the role of science in some of our best-loved and most-hated movies.
1: I'm Abby. I'm Frida. And this week's episode is One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. A light film to raise our spirits. <laughs> <laughs> a comedy drama, as it's
0: billed. <laughs> really? That's literally what it says. It says it's a comedy drama shit
1: i disagree (laughs) okay before we get stuck into the movie um i've got a science thing i want to talk about do you have anything you want to talk about okay or should i get straight into it i did and now i've forgotten what it was so you go i'll go first i wanted to bring up a topic which is pretending that you're a a medical doctor or like not pretending just not exactly correcting something I'll give you okay. something that happened to me. I was coming back from that conference in the Uber. And he was like, so where, where were you? And I was like, oh, I was in this conference, for stroke conference. So he, made, he goes and he make, makes the assumption that I'm a doctor. And we're driving along and he goes, so as a doctor, how bad are cigarettes and alcohol? <laughs> and I was like, bad. <laughs> <laughs> and then actually i used the research from um what was the movie we did another round
0: oh yeah i was yeah. like
1: as a matter of fact and I, I, I actually started to quote the podcast as about like you know men were older <laughs> the enzyme they lose it's actually quite bad for you and at least the high blood i just didn't contradict him he thought i was a doctor um, and we just kept driving Amazing. and, um, and then he did that thing that Uber drivers sometimes do. They go, so you live, you live alone. Anyone waiting for you at home? Oh my God. I was like, yes, my 10 oh husbands. No. <laughs> yes. <laughs> no, please go. <laughs> so weird. But what I've done that, I've done Oops, it before actually, no. <laughs> when I went down to get my first uh, vaccine, uh, it, it was in the hospital and I went in there and mm. she was like, uh, did you bring your first card? And I said, no. She was like, doctors never remember. Nurses always no. remember. Doctors <laughs> never. I was like, mm, what can I say? And she's like, so what area are you in? <laughs> and she's like, so where did you study? And I was like, uh, Monash University. And she's like, in what area are you in? And I was like, stroke. how how long can i i don't know how long can i get away with this will she catch me before the appointment's over so i don't have that's yeah yeah that's that's what i wanted to bring up
0: it's one of those things though isn't it where it's like sometimes it's just it's more effort to have to explain and then you end up in a conversation that you don't want to be in so it's like what's the point it's fine yeah (laughs) it's in this context it's not really like it's not going to cause any issues so it's fine I have that sometimes with like when I'm talking about science stuff on because I feel like people some people assume that I already have my PhD and I'm like I very clearly write write on my thing that I am doing my PhD right now and I talk about being a PhD student and stuff like that and I had one guy I I was explaining something and during my explanation, I said so because I was I was working on a thesis chapter, and I was like, "Oh, I'm I'm writing a thesis chapter at the moment." And a guy just commented, and he just said, "Like, so not a doctor yet?" And I was like, "I, what, what's the point? What's the point of your comment?" And and I asked him, and he said something like, "Getting a bit ahead of yourself, aren't you?" And I was like, "How am I getting ahead of myself? I'm literally at no point have I claimed that I have my doctorate. I've been talked about how I'm working on it." But also, does that mean that I'm not allowed to talk about science until I have my doctorate? Like, do people think that that's what happens? That just one day you wake up, you like, they, they approve your thesis, you pass your viva, and it's like, now you can talk about science. Now you automatically yeah. have all the knowledge of science in your science brain. You've never done anything before that. It's like, what is your
1: point? What does that random person bag? care about your qualifications in, in that sense, like? What, but also, do you know what a PhD really is? It's a license to be stupid. That's what I think. <laughs> Once you get it, every time you do something incredibly stupid, you're like, oh, I'm not self-conscious. I have a PhD. <laughs> That's what I say. Yeah, That's exactly. what it really qualifies you it's to do. It's
0: kind of the <laughs> It's similar with getting older as well. Like once you hit your thirties, you're just like, I like it's. There's a different tone in your life from when you're in your twenties and you kind of care about what people think, and then you're in your thirties and like, dude, I'm thirty. I don't give a shit what you think.
1: (laughs) What? Uh, Being in your (laughs) thirties and too old for your crap. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's just another layer of not having to give a shit. It's like yeah, it's just another reason not to give a fuck what anyone thinks
0: way that's literally my only aim <laughs> that's that's what i'm looking for <laughs> this is my doctor i don't
1: give a shit life fuck yeah future so that was my early right, do you want to talk about the movie yeah let's go one flew over the cuckoo's nest super
0: cheery movie to get you in the zone today
1: <laughs> i'm glad we delayed it because that was, it was so dark like the first couple of days when i was doing research i was i was pretty sad about what I was reading and so I finished my notes walked away and it's been a week or so so I feel like I've it's sort of I'm like I'm ready to entertain do you know with the material and not just stand here and be sad (laughs) so let's summarize the movie one flew over the cuckoo's nest doesn't really need an introduction but I'll do it anyway (laughs) Lightweight con and kinder psychopath, Viet Vet, R.P. McMurphy thinks he's gaming the system when he submits to psychological evaluation instead of 90 days at a prison work farm for statutory rape. What he did not count on was the authority of a certain nurse, Mildred Ratched, whose tendency to humiliate the men under her care has earned her the title of one of the greatest movie villains of all time not to mention a grotesque prequel with an equally grotesque use of colour that we can forget about. Anyway, McMurphy fights and loses his battle with Mildred, who leverages the power of 1960s psychiatric treatments to control him. On the way, however, other patients slash inmates start to feel brave enough to take charge of their lives, which is apparently all you need to recover from a bout of mental illness. At the end, we are all left wondering what outpatient services will be available for Chief. Oh, no. I actually forgot that I wrote that. As I, as I just went to read the line out, I was like, that's funny. <laughs> Frida, that's a funny line. Yeah. So, um... Just a bit before we start talking about it, it was based on a book by Ken Kesey. And um, we've talked about talked about LSD experiments before, but he was volunteering to take part in the famous LSD experiments at the time that he wrote this book. And he was also spending time working at a VA hospital. So this was all happening as he wrote the book. That was his frame of mind. And, it, and he started to think about that a lot of people that are committed um, – it's because they just fall outside society's ideas about how we're supposed to act, for example, and how we're supposed to behave and therefore they're committed. And that's what kickstarted him to think that, especially veterans and things like that. And that's what made him write uh, the book, which eventually turned into this movie. Although in the movie, they they don't actually state that a lot of them are veterans, but I think it's pretty obvious personally, Uh, especially there's like a guy in a wheelchair with a hat on. So I, I just feel like that context is kind of relevant. Anyways, Let's get into some movie chat. Abby, what's your succinct thoughts about the movie? How do you feel about it? Um, <laughs> you put pressure on me now because you said succinct
0: and I'm like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> I don't have succinct thoughts, Frida. I have rambly randomness in my brain. Give it. I'm like just looking down at my notes because I realized as well, this is the first time ever where I've just handwritten all of my notes and I didn't put them into a document, like organizing them. So I just quickly looking at them going, oh yeah, what did I think of the movie? Um, So yeah, I thought like the fact that they said it was a comedy drama was like, what what are you lying to me for? This is... Like that. No, this is not a comedy at all. I didn't find any of this fucking funny. Um, I found it all drama and all slightly traumatic. (laughs) And um, yeah, I like I find it very difficult to watch things with vulnerable people. Like, I find it very emotionally difficult. Any vulnerable people, animals, you know, any anyone who's being taken advantage of and they're not aware that they're being taken advantage of or anyone who was trapped in a situation where they're at risk. Um, and that's what it kind of felt like a lot of the time, you know, these people were at risk and it felt like he was... I know it kind of changed throughout the movie, but he was quite self-centered and taking advantage of their position um, for his own gain. And and that just I found that difficult to watch at first. What did you think? How did you feel about it?
1: I th- I what I think about Cuckoo's Nest is that it's a really good movie. Uh, it's a, it's amazingly done um you know the the way that the story is told all the hints and towards what's going to happen at the end all the like the scenes the setups of the scenes are so great all the group scenes are so great I love the small characters like I can acknowledge like it's such a good movie with such good uh characters and people um I think it's most like there's a lot of like potentially really interesting questions that it just sort of touches on like why Would people choose to be there? Like instead of going into like those way more interesting discussions about mental health, they're like making these like big symbolic points instead um, about communism or whatever, Mm -hmm. you know what I'm saying? Power institution. And I feel like the movie's best when it's like focusing on the people, like why they're there. Why would chief would choose to pretend to be deaf and dumb. And I just felt like I wish the movie like gave us a little bit more insight into all of that. I feel like it's
0: one of those things where, to me, this is the type of movie who where like it has a huge score on Rotten Tomatoes. It's always hailed as this amazing movie. People always talk about how it's such an incredible movie. And maybe I would feel differently about it if I had watched it when it first came out, but I didn't. This is my first time watching it. So coming to it with the mindset that I have right now, to me, it's just not that good. Yeah. And so I feel like I don't fully fall into the story, as you're saying, as well. There's parts of it that are brought up and never explored. And it seems quite superficial to me because at the end of the day, the only point of the entire movie is to show that he tried to escape going to prison, thinking he would have an easy ride in a mental institute. But that in, in actual fact, being in that institution was like, basically he
1: just... Gambled his life away. Why did they slash everything about him being a veteran? Because that is like super interesting. Someone who's been violent in the Vietnam War comes back home and is suddenly told you too violent. You know, I mean, that's interesting. Like, it's funny that they slashed a lot of the stuff, which is super profound and very emotional and interesting in favor of what it ended up being, which is like, you know, just a setup to describe. Uh, and I'll, I'll go flow into my next section and say that Milos Forman, who's an absolute legend, a filmmaker, is a Czech director, and he directed this. And I really never knew a lot about, uh, I know they've had a very interesting history, difficult history, but specifically the Prague Spring of 1968, where the Russians, a uh, bunch of communist countries invaded, because they weren't being communist enough, like Czech Republic were trying to be a bit like light communists, but Russia was like there's too much freedom of thought and they were invaded in nineteen sixty eight. And so when he and he said very clearly, I made this movie like this what it this is what it was like in the Czech Republic. This was communism for me. He was doing a movie I'm like that's his expression. It's not a secret, it's exactly what he was doing with the movie. Which is all good. There's only about one million movies that are like this is really about communism. It's all good, but also it's also really about people. Like that's where movies are the best. Um, and Milosh Foreman, I think if we can go straight into cast. Actually, is that okay with you? Do you have anything to say about um, the director, yeah, sure. the director, any any of the the shots or the, nothing nope. like that? Okay, so. Let's talk about cast. Let's discuss Jack Nicholson's performance first. I'll ask you what you thought about R.P. McMurphy's um, the performance of Jack Nicholson playing R.P. McMurphy. I, I, I I'm
0: trying to think. like, I think maybe there was just things about his character that I just found difficult. You know, where I was, where you just learn things about his character and you're just a bit like, God, you're just a jackass, aren't you?
1: Mm.
0: You're actually just a jackass. <laughs> and I just, I don't like you, but I think I'm supposed to like you because you're supposed to get some redeeming thing. And I see how, I see how the the progress of the character is supposed to be redeeming. But I just, I didn't feel that emotion to him at the end. Mm.
1: Yeah, okay. I, I think that yeah, because he was kind of like Christ, but I, the fact that it left out again that he was a veteran, is, I think, is like a bit of a, a bit of a shame. Um, I think Maybe, his yeah. performance is so amazing because just the nuances of his of his performance, especially in the early scenes when he's sort of just observing and reacting, and the camera is constantly cutting back to him as he's reacting, and I just love how engaged mm. how engaged all of them how really reacting they are and how they're feeding off of each other. It's um, it's really amazing to watch all of them. Um, okay, let's go to Louise Fletcher because she's in the role of Nurse Ratchet. Personally, I loved her. I think like she's a miracle. Just that whole performance, the way she sat, the way she walked, the way she talked, the way it, it took a little bit of time to realize how sinister she was as well. It's not immediately obvious because she's kind of, sweet or nice or something but it's like just through a couple of the cutaway facial expressions you're like "Uh uh-oh what did you think about nurse ratchet that i exactly the same I thought the actress was absolutely
0: excellent. There were moments where I felt like she's so sinister. But there were also moments where I kind of went, considering I've heard of, like, for years and years and years without having watched the movie, you hear of the story of Nurse Ratchet. You hear about how Nurse Ratchet is, like, the evil nurse. And so she was built up as this uh, very obviously nasty figure in my mind. So when I was watching it, I was surprised by how, for the most of the movie, I was like... She's actually just a, a nurse, just doing her job, and and she seems quite nice. But yeah, then there's those moments that, as you said, some cutaway moments, and definitely towards the end where you're just a little bit like, oh, okay. But I do feel like they could have played it a bit more with her. I think this I think that like good. the the end bit, as you said, but just that end moment when she's very suddenly I'm going to call your mother and there's all that sudden stuff with Billy. I felt like we were missing a little bit of that story that could have been delved into a little bit more. Cause that's not where I expected that story to go. And we can talk about that in a while, but yeah, like, I thought something else was happening there.
1: All out of the blue, she brings the fact that she's friends with mother. Like we didn't get that background. I wish we had more. Look, I, I think we got enough on Billy to understand what his sort of neuroses was. Um, and that he was suicidal, well, like no, all those I things. Well, no,
0: because I thought from the way, I never got that. From the way she talked about the girl and the engagement and things like that, I thought he had done something to harm the girl and that's why he was there. So then when he was in the room, when, when Murphy convinced your one to go into the room with him, and then when they all woke up in the morning and everything was silent, I thought he had hurt her. I thought he had killed her. And that that was going to be the big reveal that and that McMurphy was going to be like, these people are far more damaged than I understood. So when she just walked out of the room and or when Ratchet opened the door and it was all and I was like, oh, this is entirely different to where I read this storyline
1: going. That's what I mean. There was a little bit of like, oh, OK, he's killing himself again. Uh, he's trying to kill himself. Um Yeah, no, I thought that actually a lot of the scenes that happen are very well set up by small throwaway comments or like, you know, different things that happen. Um, But yeah, I do think that it was a bit forced and a little bit clunky for sure. Um, But I think that to your point about her, like, I think the fact that she's a antagonist, she isn't necessarily a villain. The fact that it's subtle leaves a lot of room for you to think about it after and go, is she a villain? Is she evil? Or is she running this fucking ward? Like, uh, you know, and, and that's not mm. so clear. But you see when she is struggling with control and she doesn't like him being there. And you see her, she's not, she, her use of semantics just to push him around. The fact that she's being unfair and he sees that. So I think the fact that it's subtle is kind of why the movie has lasted that long, because if you see the fucking, the the prequel by Ryan Murphy, it's so dumb because it leaves no nuance at all in her character.
0: Maybe that's why it's so, as you said about the, the bit then with Billy at the end is clunky because uh, for most part of it, as you said, like she's, she's running the ward. There's little bits about it where, she's she's unhappy with his presence and she doesn't like what he's doing but then at the end that moment of like I'm friends with your mother and I'm going to tell your mother that you had sex with a girl and it's like whoa whoa what yeah. that's very very vindictive that's not like that's not anything to do with running the war that's that is nothing other than wanting to cause him yeah. pain
1: she wanted to put a cap on everything like she wasn't wasn't going to stand for it all right let's move on from nurse ratchet i just want before i talk about the side characters mm-hmm. i think the next most important role is the chief and i think he's actually he's in the, he's actually the viewpoint character of the book and um i saw, I saw something really beautiful uh, about the fact that um Yeah, that scene, um, the idea of a spiritual transference or an emotional transference where the movie goes from R.P. McMurphy's point of view. So first it's him going in and learning. And then very subtly, the movie actually starts to switch to Chief's point of view. It's Chief now studying R.P. McMurphy and slowly it becomes his story. You know, it's very subtle and I think it's done quite beautifully. But you'll never guess how they found the actor that played Chief. Listen to this. Michael Douglas, who produced the film, met a used car salesman on a plane and told him they were looking for a big guy to play the part. Six months later, this guy calls Michael Douglas and said, the biggest son of a bitch Indian came in the other day. That is a true story. Okay. That is a quote. That is how they found him, which is so strange. What did you think of Chief Bromden?
0: yeah that's that's similar to the story of how they found the guy who played the alien character in alien it was just they wanted a really tall thin (laughs) guy and then randomly one day some guy just someone just saw this guy who was doing like art school or something and went hey do you want to be in a movie yeah exactly back in the 70s you know the way shit happened in the 70s stand there with a broom. that's where I immediately started to struggle with the movie. Like the whole opening bit, the whole portrayal of the chief and how, and calling him chief the whole way through. I was just like, oh yeah. So this is back. Like we're back in that day of movies where, you know, you had token characters um, of specific ethnicity that then had to be just made fun of or, or used in that way because, you know, he's the big guy and, and it's, I know he turns out to not be mute and dumb, but like the betrayal of it. I don't know. I just, I was uncomfortable. Fair enough. Yeah. Um, totally But if fair. we talk about the actor himself, like the person, I liked, I liked his end story. I like where it went for him at the end.
1: Mm-hmm. I
0: just, it just made, I think mo- mostly what it did was it just made me not like McMurphy.
1: Yeah, he wasn't like that makes sense. Now, Milos Foreman is very known for casting character actors for small parts. He cares a lot about the small parts. In Amadeus, it's like that too. He really, like, and his movies really shine because you remember the small parts in the movies and it gives so much texture. So, we have a lot of memorable characters here Cheswick, Martini, Billy, Harding. Is there any uh, performances that you would like to highlight in the small characters?
0: I mean, I just want to say about how uh Brad Dourif is worm tongue like the eyes as soon as you see the eyes you're like yeah a worm
1: tongue <laughs> yeah is that it and I just I just liked Christopher Lloyd <laughs> yeah Christopher Lloyd isn't it amazing especially because we're doing Christopher Lloyd isn't it crazy two in a row that's uh a couple I, of I
0: was just yeah what it was completely unintentional because I'd already decided before watching this movie and then I was like oh
1: Christopher Lloyd's in this movie weird <laughs> So weird. Um Yeah, no, I love them and, and, and it's uh so, it's so funny how it's um Martini is uh Danny DeVito. And a lot of people are like, No, it's not Danny DeVito, it just looks like him. It's like, no, everyone, it's really Danny DeVito. Everyone just has, has his lore that it's it just looks like him. No it's him it's actually fucking him and his first like in his start it's crazy but that that was my other what the fuck but so i'll just have to say it now yeah. because that was the
0: whole thing i was looking at it and i was like and it was only when it got to the end and it said like it wasn't even the end i think i paused it at one point and you know the way on prime when you pause it the actors come up on the side and it said danny devito and i was like sorry what i
1: know <laughs> i went back
0: and looked at the scene and That's- i was like of course it's Danny DeVito, but I just never clocked it while watching the movie.
1: Another character is uh, uh, w- the guy that plays the overnight guard, the overnight warden guy, is Scatman Crothers, who's from The Shining. Yeah. You know like, you know, he plays yeah. from The Shining? as the same oh, guy. Oh, cool. Yeah. You know who I'm talking about. Yeah.
0: He has, he has my biggest ew line in the whole movie.
1: Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's... It's upsetting. Okay. They're going to be sharing more than
0: bottles, ain't they?
1: Oh, okay. Let's move on from this (laughs) discussion quickly because it's 30 minutes in and and themes. I think I've already covered pretty much my opinion of themes, but the themes of this movie are the individual versus institution. And I think in general, uh, communism as well, if I'm going to be really, uh, um, really obtuse, but also power, there's just, it's a struggle for power between her and him. Um, uh, that's, that's my themes. Anything you want to add? Uh, nope. All right. The themes of this movie are the most obvious themes we've ever done from a movie. It's all about the themes and like much less <laughs> about the people. It's like just a screaming theme. But uh, okay, let's go on to our first section. Welcome to our first section to Rib of the Week. Abby, when you watched One Flew Over the Cookie's Nest, was there a trope that you would like to highlight for yes. us? Yes. Go.
0: The resident asshole becomes the people's champ. Yeah, go on. I just. Yeah. And also, white guy freeze person of colour. <laughs> Basically. Yeah like but but that was the thing it was just like i don't know his whole thing of going you could see it from the start you could see where the story was going and then at the end and he stays and he sacrifices himself basically because of because he suddenly cares about these people or something and it's just like the fact that he didn't climb out the window was just stupid (laughs) like just climb out the window and go
1: dude then it was a callback and it was a it gave you a catharsis It was a cathartic moment. No, it didn't. Okay, fine. Um, (laughs) No. He did start to care about them slowly. What was your trope? Electroshock therapy. (laughs) Oh, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) That was my trope. It's so tropey. It's so fucking (laughs) tropey. Um, I'm really threat.
0: excited to hear about this, though. I'm really excited to get into the science of this. Okay, with, uh, I, I, it's the sick. Let's get into it bodies. straight away. I want to
1: get into it straight okay. away. There is, it is so crazy. So, okay. going straight from what I just said about ECT, electroconvulsive therapy, as it's hereafter known, because shock is a little bit shocking, um, it's actually, <laughs> I, uh, I think that this movie was actually filmed in and among Oregon State Hospital. Um, it's actually an institution, a psychiatric institution, and the people, some people around the backgrounds are patients. And some of the, the doctors, Dr. Spivy is the doctor at Oregon State Hospital. And in that conversation with the doctors, were they like, is he dangerous or is he crazy? Was it- <laughs> I love that conversation with the doctors because it just there was just that's how yeah that's how it goes right is it crazy or dangerous I guess for all the yeah. for the masses out there let's simplify this but those were actually doctors um, so that's interesting um, now okay so at the time the film was released in the mid seventies institutions were a common way to deal with mentally ill people. Uh, And we brought this up in blast from the past. And this is just a testament to how rockin' our podcast is, by the way. (laughs) We brought this up in blast from the past that in the US, um, after this movie, like from the mid-70s through the mid-80s, let's say, there was a widespread deinstitutionalization that happened. Um, And this was largely due to Ronald Reagan. And he was working this line from when he was in local government all the way up to federal governments. Um, to push the responsibility of mentally ill people from the federal government back to the states, where it originally was, by the way, and I'll get back to that later. And what he did was he introduced this thing called block grants to the state where they could choose to either spend the money on putting people in institutions and hospitals or highway, whatever. And most people chose a highway. And that led to uh, those being, uh, the institutions being closed down. Is that a good thing? it's, this is not straightforward, you know, psychiatric, uh, the best way to treat people, locking them up in institutions, probably not the best way. The best way is probably to be in hospital for an acute phase, an episode, and then to be discharged and cared for in the community, which obviously it's like a lot of funding. And, you know, there isn't a perfect solution, but institutions probably aren't the best way to to deal with people, uh, you know, long-term anyway. Um, But... You know, some people, there is no housing at the very least, people to have somewhere to live. Um, that all cost a lot of money. So, you know, there is, you know, where have all the people gone that have no other means other than to be institutionalized or to be housed by the government? And the answer to that is the streets or prisons. Um, you know, the people that haven't been captured by good psychiatric care, that is their solution largely. Um so, but but it's actually, it, it's very complicated these days because prisons have such a larger percentage of people with psychiatric conditions than the general community, but because of certain lawsuits su- suing the prison system to supply people with the same level of care as they would get otherwise, actually, it's quite a lot of funding in prisons to, to treat people. And so a lot of psychiatric doctors that work in prison remark that, Jesus, there's more money here than there is in community centers. So I I don't really, I want to talk about pre 1960s only because I I can't for the life of me capture the state of this in one episode, you know, and in having conversations with people that know it's, it's so, it's so complicated, but you know, those are a few things maybe to think about. Um, But then, you know, there's no, there's no straight answer as to like, what's best. Um, so what I would like to do is go to the facts, let's go to the 1960s, um, at the 1960s. So this movie is written about the 1960s and released in the 1970s at the 1960s, things were terrible. The number of people that were committed had peaked at that point. Okay. Okay. But then the funny thing is things really started to change between the mid-60s and the mid-70s for a bunch of reasons. And and the movie is 10 years ahead of the book. And that is really significant because those 10 years had a lot of positive change. By the time it was the mid-70s and the movie came out, psychiatry was really in its heyday. Look, there was a lot of shit going down that wasn't too great. But it was really become like really in its heyday. And things had improved a lot but then this movie comes out. It's no longer an accurate de- depiction of what things are. But, but actually, a lot of people think that this movie is responsible for the, de- for the move towards deinstitutionalization, even though things were already better at the mid-70s. So this movie had such a cultural impact, it gave people such a bad opinion of psych- psychiatry, even though it was no longer accurately depicting psychiatry. What do you think about that?
0: It's interesting how um we can almost kind of rewrite history sometimes based on how we connect with something through through like our or kind of social not social connection but but just the fact that like we can attribute things to movies to songs to artists and stuff like that that w- where they're just kind of responding to a change or responding to a system. Um, the whole thing is like you said it's just it's all so incredibly complicated and it's so normal I think to to see things changing consistently and quite quickly throughout uh, this type of care I mean you can even see it recently in the last ten years how much more emphasis we put on mental health and on uh people with anxiety and the, the types of things that are available to people and the way that things are being kind of shifted into well-being and workplaces and everything like that. It's it's so fascinating to see how it, cons- it constantly changes. But then it's also like the mind is such a, a complicated place that people will constantly make mistakes as to what the right thing to do is. And I think it's because we're all individuals. And, and so I can see how trying to do things as an institution, trying to find some sort of a way to care for people en masse when each individual will have different requirements is incredibly difficult. Because how do you fund that and how do you support that? Yeah. I just, I don't even know where to start with it.
1: Hmm. Yes, yes, exactly. And I think, well... At the time that the film was released, it maybe was like uh, like a, there were a lot of federally, federally funded mental health centers instead of institutions where people could um, be cared for in the community. And that, the shift really started to happen in the 70s. Um, and I think it's still sort of the, the best way. People should be able to go about their lives. And I think, you know, when people are institu- – I don't think – when people are institutionalized, that becomes a problem of its own, that – being institutionalized is its own mental health problem. Um, So yes, it is complicated. That's why talking about it post 1970, it's like, it's too, it's too messy to really discuss. So, but we want to know how bad was it in the sixties? This is the question. Was it that bad? Well, that movie is portraying the sixties. Was that the sixties? And if it was that bad, I'm going to say yes. How the fuck did that happen? So I will say in short, hell fucking yeah, it was that bad. Not everywhere, but definitely I believe I have, after learning all of this, what happened to them, I don't find it difficult to believe that it would have happened. Mm. Uh, Let's contextualize lobotomies though. You know what I'm saying? Like you cannot discuss lobotomies. ECT without contextualizing it so we have to contextualize it Mm. first and sorry go on
0: well I was just going to say it's like you said and I guess that's the thing that's missing from the story in the movie is the fact that they're veterans because that's the biggest thing we know that there were a lot of mental health issues from people coming out of the Vietnam war and that all led on from World War II as well and we talked about this when we talked about Captain America because we talked about The types of things that they were doing to soldiers during the war in order to make them, um, keep them awake, keep them able to move like longer distances. And they were pumping them with amphetamines. So people, a lot of people came out with a lot of drug dependencies and then that leads to a lot of issues after the fact. So like, I do think if we knew that they were all veterans, it might have had more of an impact on the story to understand what was being done to those people that put them in a situation where they then needed to be institutionalized and then how that institutionalization did nothing to help them, yeah. which I'm sure is what you're about well, to tell me about.
1: Not, not even not even talking about what was done to them. Which if you, There are better movies that deal with that, like The Deer Hunter deals with what happens to a person that can't function anymore in society. There are loads of better movies that deal much better with the question of men in the military. So that is a terrible issue, but we're not going to talk about it today. Or it will come up in another movie, I'm sure. Uh, What I want to talk about is what, how the fuck things got so bad. So we can then contextualize how those radical treatments, I think it's important. Okay. So what is an asylum? The institution, where did it even come from? So I think the idea of hospitals to treat severely mentally ill people were around for a long time. Actually, uh, a lot of public hospitals, hospitals back in the back, back, back in the day, I'm talking 18th century, 19th century, were funded by very rich people who needed somewhere to put their very sick relative. If they because, you know, forever, if somebody was a little bit, you know, not quite right, I'm talking Martini, I'm talking Cheswick, communities took care of these people and that has never ever been a problem, right? But we're talking about people with refractory Mm. symptoms, that means symptoms which cannot, nothing can help. I'm talking people with uh, severely severe problems like you know, violence that couldn't be anywhere. And so a lot of people would, uh, rich people would fund hospitals just to put their relative, and then that would be also used to treat others. So that idea has been around for a long time. But the idea of the asylum came about with this idea called the moral treatment, and it originated um, in Europe. What the moral treatment said was that the mentally ill can recover if they're treated kindly. So instead of harsh restraints and isolation, which was what was done to mentally ill people, you know, hydrotherapy, basically being shook, being restrained, being hit, God knows what, you know, the idea that if you treat them kindly, that's what they need. So what you, what people need is a quiet and secluded, peaceful country setting and opportunities for meaningful work and recreation And also some sort of incentivized system where they're encouraged to sort of go, you know, to do work and have rewards that encourages them to come back into the real worlds. And then there was this thing called the Kirkbride Plan that was developed about how these hospitals should be built and how they should be organized to give the moral treatment. So such directives as how much sunshine, air, and all these sorts of things. This was very, very popular. People would go to rest and recover from a mental breakdown or some such. Um, and this became so popular that there became state funding available. And I'm talking in the U.S. right now. Uh, so that poorer people could enjoy this as well. So, this, so different states in America began to fund these asyl- asylums so people could get the moral treatment. And it was so popular that almost every state in the United States at the beginning of the 20th century had one of these, which sounds good. Uh, so what happened? You will not believe what happened. Those hospitals quickly became under siege. Why? Why do, what, what do you think happened? Give me a guess. people start dumping people there. Mm. Exactly. Mainly due to money. So we have state government funding. Mm. Now local government goes, hang on a minute. If the state is funding this asylum, why don't we put people that we're paying for there? Like, why should we pay for blah, blah, blah. If the state can house them in these places. So the local governments were, trying to avoid the cost of caring uh, for the elderly. So what they did is reclassify. This became very popular sort of mental decline in the elderly, reclassify it as a psychiatric condition called senility. Senility, however you pronounce it. And that that allowed them to commit all the old people to state-supported asylums. And you can imagine that that made those asylums overloaded. Yeah, I'm, I
0: just, I have so much anger in me that I almost cannot verbalize it properly because anything that always comes down to governments trying to save money and The money is never going to where it's actually required because they wouldn't, if it was, they wouldn't have done that because all you do is overload the system and then you break the system and then eventually you defund the system because the system's broken, but it's broken because you fucking broke it. Yeah. I just like, I can't, I can't, I'm so tired of- It gets worse. The world that we live in where it's just like- It gets much worse. I
1: just, I, mm. so that's old people. Now this (laughs) happened in Canada. Similar thing happens. You will not believe this orphans, orphans. So that local Mm -hmm. government did not have to take responsibility of orphans. They reclassified or falsely classified orphans as having a psychiatric condition. And I'm going to say this happened in the forties and fifties. And they're called the duplessis orphans named after the prime minister or the government, you know, the the person in government who was responsible for this. That is something that was done as well. And a lot of those orphans were submitted to severe treatment in these institutions. So this is what's going on. State is going, isn't it nice? We're going to take care of people. This sounds like a good thing. And then this is how local governments responding by trying to overload it. Um, now the thing about the moral treatment is that it's not medical that's the whole thing and actually originally it was the Quakers that were running these asylums they really believed in it but none of these people are medical and it wasn't a medical treatment suddenly they're inundated with people that they, there's no training there's no training for okay this starts to set up mm. as we're going to see how much it sets up the problem later on can I just yes?
0: Can I just interject one second, just to say how isn't it so fucked? How when we talk about these types of things regularly, we talk about how a long time ago they kind of had the answer, and then the system fucked it, and now we live here. We are like a hundred, nearly a hundred years later, where people are talking about essentially what you're saying in terms of the moral treatment about the types of treatment that people need in these situations well, and these circumstances. And now we're trying to fucking do that.
1: And it's like... Well... But well, we had to go through a 100 years of fuckedness. The moral treatment, not everyone. That's the thing. No, no. Some people need treatment and that that comes much later so but no but i agree with that on i'm that just level, saying that like when we yeah. talk
0: about wellness and well-being and we talk about like people with anxiety and stress related and how your work shouldn't be like this and your life should be like this and you should go out and you should get fresh air and you should be in the sunshine and and there's this whole big push now to make people do that when we just created the world like they already had that answer they had that fucking answer a mm. hundred years ago yeah and then we we came along and went no
1: and now it's like, oh, the thing that gets me <laughs> is that it was not stigmatized. You know, that the moral treatment was not stigmatized. I, I don't think, you know, that it was fashionable to go for a rest, you know, like, and there are times in my life where all I think I just want to be able to like rest You know, you've been under so much strain and you really feel your mental health starting to crack. And all I want is to, to like be able to go and rest. And I've really thought about like checking myself in somewhere. Where can I go? Where can I go to rest so that this doesn't become too much? And that's what shits me as well. Like the fact that that was fashionable and not stigmatized that you could go to rest. So to prevent a breakdown, you know, um, Um, And so, but the moral treatment wasn't sufficient to supply the care that they were suddenly inundated with. So then they started to train nurses, especially for psychiatric hospitals under a different set of qualifications. However, they still carried the title registered nurse, which hello, Mildred Ratchet. Okay. Now the American Nursing Association was really fought this and I lost the battle. Because registered nurse carries the qualifications that it, you know, that it implies. Psychiatric people, nurses trained completely differently, had totally different skill set, were still given the title of registered nurse. They fought this. It took decades to undo this, but the damage that it carried out was a lot of people that carried a certain title but not the qualifications that people assume with the title. So. Early 20th century, the local government's offloading. Old people are inundated. There the state even fu- cuts more funding in the 30s. Then, and we have underqualified people, right? But at this time, there's actually no treatment for psychiatric condition yet, by the way. We had the moral treatment and now we're starting to train people. What are they doing to these patients? I don't fucking hydrotherapy. Bullshit. Absolute bullshit. Basically torture. So untrained people torturing mm. patients completely overloaded. More funding cubs. Then what, what happened in the 40s? The war, World War II happened in the 40s and a lot of personnel, there was no personnel. Okay. Drastic shortage of personnel. And it's a huge crisis. But everyone's very distracted by the war. Okay. So the war's over 1945. Come 1946, Life magazine publishes an expose called Bedlam was the title with photos. It looked like a Nazi concentration camp. It shocked the living daylights out of the Americans because they had spent all this time, oh my God, the photos of the Jews, the people in the concentration camps, oh my God, people kept like that. And then on their front door, Life Magazine publishes these photos that are so shocking, shocked the living daylights out of people. And I sat on YouTube and I watched, there were so many exposés that happened at that time there are so there's so much footage in the 40s, 50s and 60s right. of this that will shock shock you completely and totally about the condition that people were kept in worse than you could even imagine so now we enter a period that becomes a race for therapeutics and I'm now going to go into what those therapeutics were which we already know from the movie but I'll just take a break for comment and to breathe, take a breath as well. We can just like let that um, sit where as Where was well. Bedlam? 1946 Life magazine. It was called Bedlam.
0: Yeah. But like Bedlam is from the name of the asylum.
1: Bedlam. The Bedlam oh, Asylum it?
0: in the, in the UK.
1: Oh, really? Oh, yeah. Okay. So I didn't yeah. know that, but so anyway, that's the, um, Oh. uh in
0: the like 13
1: 13 and 1400s uh so that's what the reference was uh, in the
0: 1500s it was made a hospital for the mentally ill and then became famous for brutal treatment of its patients yeah i've survived got it here.
1: for um i've got the article i'll put it in the uh comments if anyone wants to oh i don't know how to do oh. that anyway um okay yeah it was uh it survived until like the
0: early 1900s but then it's then it was turned into um a, but oh look it's the site of the imperial war museum i have been there
1: so at this Good point museum. you know even when they started to um even when psychiatry started to improve you still had a lot of those people that were institutionalized from before because the problem is that you have another classification of being institutionalized, you know, when you've been in an institution for so long that you are now sick from that. And so even when institutions were treating people much better and they were, there was still an annex, like the annex, where there were the people that were, you know, these people. So they had like like several tiers of the psychiatric hospitals where people were receiving new treatment where they'd submit to, you know, consents, for example, to treatment to a course of, you know, more humane ECT and and be given, and the women would have, you know, the certain dignity preserved as well. And then you had the parts of the hospital where they just had no control over it. And people like, uh, oh, I uh, completely dehumanized. Um, And it's, and so, right, like, So when things were that bad, we're talking mid, mid 1940s, that was when Walter Freeman comes in to try to develop a quick lobotomy as a solution because there was no treatment. And that is how this happened. Now we've got to talk about the lobotomy because of course that's that is what happened to R.P. McMurphy at the end of the movie. He gets a lobotomy. Now we want to ask, you know, was this likely to have happened? This is something that would have happened. Just give a guy a lobotomy. So let's see. Um, so psychosurgery, lobotomy is part of an uh, area called psychosurgery and psychosurgery actually goes all the way back to the stone age because skulls from the stone age bear a lot of evidence of procedures that were performed for therapeutic reasons, um, as well in the classic antiquity and Renaissance era, it says there's evidence of psychosurgery going way back. Now, in terms of modern sort of Western medicine, the idea that the brain has discrete functional regions where parts of the brain connect to certain function originated from a gentleman called Franz Joseph Gall in around 1819. Um, and he had these ideas called phrenology. So the phrenology is now now debunked the idea of like touching bits and uh, whatever the fuck. But the idea, like this idea of the sort of brain topology still persisted from him, these ideas. And through the 19th century and going into the 20th century, there was a lot of work in this area, uh, like the localization of la- language, the localization of the motor, motor cortex, um, studies on animals as well, you know, sort of trying to figure out what, what parts of the brain does what. Um so there's also the study of patients with traumatic brain injuries was really important to this as well, being injured in a certain part, having certain uh responses. A very famous example is Phineas Gage. Have you heard about Phineas Gage? Um No. He's the guy Maybe. that had the like stake through the eye, you know, he had like a stake through his head and he survived. Oh yeah. Yeah, and so yeah. that changed, it led to a very a big change in his behavior. So, all these things uh, led to people start to think about uh, probing parts of the brain. Um, in 1888, Gottlieb Burkhardt performed surgery to, ex- to excise brain regions from patients with mental illness, and that led to him being ostracized. By the way, there was a lot of. <laughs> so fucked up a lot of like experimenting on prisoners just crazy shit people trying to figure this stuff out now after yeah. this uh 1888 the field was pretty quiet until 1935 uh the role of the frontal lobe was described by two guys john fulton and carlisle jacobson and a gentleman called Egus Moniz was in the audience and he developed the idea of the prefrontal leucotomy for patients with severe anxiety and depression. So this is dealing with the frontal lobe. Now, first they did it with alcohol injections into the prefrontal white matter.
0: <laughs>
1: oh what? Yes. Just <laughs> cover it. Sure. Sure. You gotta know how bad shit was before you start to explain how R. P. McMurphy could get lobotomized, you know what I'm saying? They just injected alcohol yeah, into yeah, somebody's yeah. prefrontal white matter. But then eventually he developed the tool, the Leucotome. Leucotome, which was the tool that people know that's the lobotomy tool. So he could be a bit more precise. In Ugh. steps, Walter Freeman and James Watt and refined this procedure because they just they're just going for bits of brain. So he they, they refined it to be a bit more precise than that, and they <laughs> developed the prefrontal lobotomy. So they developed it. It was much more precise. they so refined at that point. Right. By the way, they get... Actually, I'm jumping ahead. Can't jump ahead. It's a crazy story. And they perform <laughs> hundreds of these, but warned... Only to limiting to patients with refractory symptoms, as I described before, can't be controlled no matter what. Um, okay. Now, that makes it so much better. So that hundreds only did hundreds. Sorry. <laughs> what ended up happening was, instead of their warning, was indiscriminate use of the lobotomy. By the way, I just want to say that with, in terms of the brain function regions, it's, we know it's so much more complicated than that, by the way. It's not the same in every person. Anywho, what happened instead of using only for refractory symptoms was indiscriminate use of the lobotomy due to, one, a lack of any treatment for mental illness, as I explained, and two, probably as a measure against overcrowding. So we're up here, 1940, we're coming into 1940, 1945. Walter Freeman has developed it. They've done it (laughs) hundreds, reporting like it's working for certain cases. We're in a huge crisis. uh, And it just takes off. Okay. Then Freeman developed the transorbital technique. So... First, we're talking about the technique where it was, you know, the two sides of the head, kind of like the scars that R.P. Murphy had. But then Walter Freeman develops the other technique, which I don't even want to talk about, but you know what I mean, at the uh, transorbital one. And the, the instrument he used resembled an ice pick. It was called the orbiter clasp. Um, I don't want to get into it. A, and, but also, he, he practiced on grapefruits. I don't want to get into it, but it was very quick and it required... Oh uh for sedation do you know what they used to sedate ect
0: oh, or oh, est
1: what? for out of all oh. things that's that's how they did it he didn't require an anesthetist or even sterilization um so what oh, and the others started to distance themselves from freeman who went on to perform thousands over the next two decades Tens of thousands were performed in America and Europe. And in 1949, the Nobel prize in medicine was awarded to my Mon- for the discovery. That's how fucking popular this shit was. The last lobotomy... Did they revoke
0: that out of curiosity. I don't know. Was that ever, was that revoked or oh. I don't know. I'm not saying it because I think it was. I'm Google just saying that, that like we're... in, in
1: you can Google yeah. it while I'm talking. What, what was the Nobel prize for again? The Lobotomy, 1949, Medicine and Physiology, Edgar Moniz. Okay.
0: Fucking hell. Like, it's so... Like, the fact that there was thousands (laughs) thousands performed. Like, how many people are just... And how does that solve overcrowding? Well a lot of people just died or just became more easy to manage because they had lost their entire sense of self. Well, we just like, what, what would they do? Just sit around all day. And yes. I don't even really understand what the outcome was or what the aim of the outcome was.
1: There are reported, you know, successes where people did. Come, I mean, and maybe we're talking about the earlier version of the procedure, but with the later version of the procedure, there right. was problems with death and infection. Of course, if things were being sterilized and failures, you know, so, uh, but yeah, yeah. There, there was success but yes people with refractory symptoms calmed down and, did, and could be home like they could come home um, but the famous JFK's sister was lobotomized actually that's what prompted him to sign the act it sort of transformed everything in the 60s because his right. sister got a lobotomy so it was very common and very popular but what, what I find really interesting about it what, why did it then decline so it's such a laissez-faire attitude towards get, giving a lobotomy to somebody, and non-neurosurgeons were performing the treatment. So because it wasn't being performed by scientific people, there was a huge lack of scientific rigor. Which means adverse events were um, not were like heavily underreported. Right. Have you got um that information.
0: Uh, I just found that they, yeah, I just found. So it's not been rescinded, but there have been calls to rescind the Nobel Prize yeah. um, by from relatives and family members that underwent leucotomies But then there's also been a lot of other people defending him for his scientific contributions and stressing the need to examine his legacy in context. Yeah, well, that's
1: what we're doing. Here. I take it.
0: I take it that like we. Yeah, I take it that we learn and we develop along the way. But at the same time, it, it does kind of seem like, as you're saying, like if, if you have people who don't have scientific, like you don't have medical doctors doing this,
1: right? Well, that's, what I, that's why it ended up declining because, you know, there was a lot of success. And maybe early on when Watts was involved, there was a scientific rigor and there was some careful, you know, it was being more careful. But by the time Freeman was at it alone there, and there were non-surgeons were doing it, and because it was not being done by people that were sworn into the profession, it wasn't, they weren't using objectivity at all, and they weren't reporting adverse events as they would have had to if there was within yeah. a medical system. So therefore, people thought that it was much better than it really was. People didn't know. They thought it was amazing. This is what happens right. when, you, when you do pseudoscientific treatments, but you don't apply scientific rigor, is that you can easily think something is good simply because there is no avenue to reporting anything else that you have to do if you're within the scientific system and that's what happened with the lobotomy people did not know and eventually it became known how many adverse events there, there were how much death there was and how much damage there was Um, And then it was also known that people that were institutionalized was without consent as well. They were incapacitated or lobotomized. People that were incapacitated in institutions were just lobotomized without their fucking consent, you know? So, um, and prisoners were lobotomized as well for dysfunctional behavior. So it was like this indiscriminate use um, that it bothered people a lot. Eventually, this led to um, modern standards for research research ethics to be developed with the National Research Act of 1974. And something called the Belmont Report outlined principles of informed consent. So, you know, by the time this movie is released in 1975, we're kind of out of the the worst parts of this. Um, But the nail in the coffin to the lobotomy was... The advent of antipsychotics, pharmacotherapy in 1954, chloropromazine was invented and lithium. That was really it. There was finally fucking treatment. And, you know, of course, some, and then now there's many more and Once there was actually a treatment, uh, the lobotomy fell out of favor. But, of course, some conditions are treatment resistant, at least with what is currently available and what is currently understood about illness. And we do have a long to go, which will bring us into uh, ECT. So let's take a breather on the lobotomy. Does your perspective i mean the, th- the thing is Freeman really fucked it, but i'm i 'm just interested if, given the context that you understand like why it happened i don 't know everyone 's so guilty so like, it 's hard it 's hard not, yeah
0: yeah it 's kind of like yes and no because I understand that we have to evolve, we have to learn, we have to grow in our understanding. <laughs> And there are going to be times where you think something and and people for genuine reasons and, and out of a genuine desire to help might come up with an idea of going, oh, this will help. And if you said there were like some successful cases, but I think when it comes to the brain, we just know so little in reality to be able to try to really delve and understand a person to make such a drastic decision to, to do something so invasive. Um, I don't think people knew I just, how I just find complicated it
1: hard. the brain was. I don't think people knew, like, I think,
0: but he- I think that's the thing, the whole historical context of mental illness and, and how people have been dealt with all throughout history. Um, uh, I, and I don't know. It's it's like who who determines what's normal behavior? Who determines what is uh you know, what what is deserving of this? And as you said, it's like prisoners being given it for for being dis- dysfunctional but like what, what was the truth of that person? What was the truth of their I, I don't know, it's just it's so complicated and it's so upsetting as it a is.
1: We, we, it's like, as
0: just a, a thing that exists or has existed in our history. I just, yeah,
1: we're so obsessed with productivity that it's like if people aren't being productive, mm. then then they're crazy or they're not worthwhile. And I know that that's obviously a very broad brush because you know, you know, some people have you know chronic psychiatric conditions, but you know, we are so focused on productivity it's like it's almost like when I read about all this, but, the lesson I learn is that we have no time for anybody. It's like there's no time to give other human beings. we have no we have nothing yes. to give each other to help each other. no time. We can't, everyone's like, I don't want that drama, even the way people talk, oh, we don't help each other. and sometimes I like have friends and know people that have gone through such. Who have prolonged mental health, you know, up like this, myself as well. But you know, there's times where you really need people to step in and 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 help you to prevent that breakdown. And it's like we have no fucking time for each other and governments have no money to give out unless they know the yeah. money will come back in terms of profits. But it's also it's also about like preventative measures and
0: understanding, as you said like we're so obsessed with productivity we're so obsessed with fitting into the social norms and doing things in the way that society dictates they need to be done that it's almost it's so restrictive for some people if if you don't operate that way if your brain doesn't think that way or if you don't if you're not functional and productive at the same time in the same environment as other people like, it doesn't necessarily, it doesn't mean that you can't be. It just means that this, this doesn't work for you. And then that, that's so limiting. And, and it's like, there's something wrong with you because you don't work in in that, in that system. I don't know how to describe it. I just, I just find it like,
1: yeah, I, Yeah. yeah no, I, just, I, I I see
0: it. I see it in a lot of things yeah. that people do. It's like a lot of. You know, it's like, I mean, some people might not be able to work a nine to five. It doesn't mean they can't do the actual job that is being required, but maybe they just can't do it within those hours. Maybe that just doesn't work for them. Or maybe they can't do it in an office with other people. Maybe they, you know, need to be Mm -hmm. a bit more isolated. Maybe some people cannot be isolated and they have to be around people all the time. I just... Different people need different things, and we don't accommodate that. If
1: if someone isn't like, if someone has autism, but they are in an environment which is causing constant stress because they haven't been given the dignity of being put in the correct environment or having the changes being done, then they can have symptoms that they don't need to have. And that's one example. And there's many examples where people put in the wrong situation or not given any fucking dignity of being an individual and a human being or not. People aren't coming from the position that someone is worthy and worthwhile as an individual to nurture. They're put in a situation which causes so much stress that they expose it. it exposes things. It expresses things that make you look crazy, but those things don't have to be there. And I think that's a little bit what you're saying. Is that a little bit what you're saying? Yeah. 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 That, yeah. That's it. That's exactly it. it. It's just, it's not black and yeah. white. There's so many shades, you yeah. know, and everybody. And even like, I actually, yeah. And even like, you know, being academics, you can pull it back there, like being female, being me, being a mother, having like shit that I've gone through, having a certain personality, which means maybe I'm under stress or I express myself differently. And like, being able just to fight, to say, I'm allowed to be here, even though I'm different, even though that I'm not acting this way because I have something to offer. And you want to live in a world where someone goes, I'll nurture, like we'll nurture you. Even though you might seem like you're more needy, you know, but you know, like that's the dig that's, dignity at the end of the day that's when someone gives you dignity who says you I see you and will support you and nurture you because I see that you're worthy and that we aren't going to chuck you away to a job where you you don't have to be challenged because we can't be bothered dealing with you and I feel like a lot of the men in that institution were thrown away by society because all those men were thrown away because they don't exhibit a lot of things that we're supposed to see as normal. And I think that was a lot of his message. RP McMurphy was like, you guys can live in society, you know. Okay. Uh, ECR. Let's talk about electric shock therapy because, as I said, um, while um, the lobotomy is obviously disgusting and it's not very scientific and it never works, the thing about electroconvulsive therapy. ECT or electroshock therapy in that movie is again by the 70s the practice had changed quite a lot so it was done under sedation it was done with consent but this movie did quite a lot to change the reputation to really harm the reputation irreparably to be perfectly honest about ECT Um, it's actually effective uh, for treatment resistant depression or TRD or bipolar or maybe sometimes OCD And there's quite a bit of literature on how in some cases, and this is the thing about science, in some cases, these cases, Mm -hmm. not indiscriminately, right? In some cases, ECT is better than drugs for people with with severe depression. The thing is, uh, the exact mechanism of how it works is still not really understood, but it induces a seizure. And people don't know why, but it, it, it can work. And this movie and movies like this really destroyed the reputation of ECT. Um, by the time it was released, as I said, it wasn't done like this anymore. Um, it wasn't done as a punishment anymore. Um, but people still fight pretty hard to get ECT up up and running as a real option for people that have like... Uh, relentless suicidal ideation, you know what I'm saying? People that are really, really unwell. Right. Um, I'm not going to talk about it any more than that. There is literature. I'll post some articles, small studies, big studies. Uh, so one example, the lobotomy is like, yes, it's terrible. The reputation deserves everything it gets. This movie did it? you know, it like was very fair but with ECT, maybe a little bit unrealistic and a little bit unfair, although it might have been used as a punishment back in the day. But it was nothing like that. Like you can see loads of videos of more contemporary ECT, uh, and it's nothing like that. But it does have many obviously difficult side effects. And so, with consents, if somebody has treatment resistant depression, they could just as an option you know there's nothing wrong with that being available that they could discuss with their medical team whether it's something that they would like to do but unfortunately the reputation has really been tarnished
0: right that's interesting because i would i never would have thought that i would have i would have just assumed but then also when you think about it in terms of what we understand from you know electrical signals on the brain and i suppose if you Imagine some sort of reset that maybe some people it acts like that for as a sort of a reset button. Mhm. Which might work better than than the chemicals
1: of yeah a reset. That's how I thought to reset. It does destroy short term memory. In terms of modern day psychosurgery, there is still psychosurgery that happens today. Do you, there's a few different bits and pieces. Um, do you remember I brought up deep brain stimulation? Oh yeah, where they like get yeah, something yeah. in there and kind of fiddle with the brain yeah. again. Something I that remember you saying you wanted
0: someone to scratch your brain.
1: <laughs> <laughs> it just sounds like it feels good, but yes. So that is something which again is a, is sort of experimentally available for people with refractory symptoms and um like really bad symptoms. And there are doctors that sh- mm. want you know that champion that are championing that again it's not cutting up your brain um but you know last resort um like I did here when I was in a conference she presented someone who was receiving the treatment as part of a trial when the trial stopped they weren't receiving the treatment they commit suicide like pretty soon after um as in there it came back like pretty quickly so Again, right. you know, these things are only in their infancy, uh, deep brain stimulation, but there are a lot of uh, psychosurgery. So it's not completely out of fashion and completely outlawed. But I think the main takeaway message right. is with consent and not indiscriminately in certain cases um, and with, you know, giving people the dignity of their own individualism and their humanity. I think everyone deserves to be treated yeah. with dignity. I know that it's difficult and complicated, and I know that there's no perfect system that exists. It's really difficult, even the best systems. Um, but yeah. uh, we can learn a few things from history, I think. And I think that's Agreed. enough of the science mm-hmm. of wonderful over the cuckoo's nest ah let's have some fun now and say what the fuck what the Ah. what the what the fuck i've already
0: said all of mine trying to find something new
1: (laughs) my what the fuck was like the statutory rape scene it's the same thing as the scene of the the, the, the scene with the indian and the chief and the whole thing that was just uncomfortable but yeah they're the I did love the this, the doctor, such a psychiatrist, the way he was sort of being like, oh, I see why you would say that. <laughs> but the way he talked about the 15 year old girl, ugh, I was like, oh, what the fuck? Yeah. 15 is...
0: Because it, it almost, I I didn't, this is the thing, I didn't read that scene like they were saying, oh, this is appalling. I read that scene like this is the 70s and they actually think that this is fine.
1: He was <laughs> like, arrested. They don't, really yeah they were saying he's promiscuous like he's psychotic he fights a lot he can't control himself with sex by the way the thing that i say what the fuck to is that she told me she was 18 it's like you are 38 why is that an excuse that's my what the fuck when people go she told me she was 18 by the way also the fact that he was 38 i'm like i'm uncomfortably like his age you know yeah (laughs) i hate that yeah when we're getting old and we're I mean like... the whole
0: I suppose <laughs> I suppose I said like I said it I said it a minute I said it a while ago and I should have kept it for now really but yeah that the whole the guard letting him let the two girls in because he insinuates that they'd be up for some fun you know and the guard who's clearly a lot older than he is as well he's already 38 he's a Mr. lot older Turpin? those two girls are clearly young <laughs> brings them into the freaking thing and then they bring them into like the bathroom
1: yeah. and
0: it's just really creepy and weird in the bathroom with their bottles of beer or their their drinks and it's like like i said he says the line uh they're going to be sharing more than bottles ain't they and it's like oh i want to throw up but the fact that you just said those words yeah and also the fact that And actually that is a what the fuck that lie that that is a what the fuck for me as well was the whole well it was that but it was also the idea that the woman will do whatever boring thing any man wants like this weird fucked up idea that the guy wants them to come and party with him what party are they having they're sitting around (laughs) in a (laughs) asylum like, I'm sure those girls can find other interesting things to do with their fucking evening than sitting in an asylum, watching these men drink. Oh, like, yes. the, but, she was but a we great sport. we went through this period in life. But, but did you ever go through that?
1: Yeah, when well, she was <laughs> trying to be interested, she was like, wow, a bath. Like, she was being such a good sport, trying to be like, cool, <laughs> yeah. sexy, it's the bathroom. Like, I love that. I felt like she was just being a champ. It's just ridiculous. <laughs> Why would they even go in there? Okay. So did, so we have a kind of set out oh, what the fuck, so we've come we've come up with a couple. Yeah. Uh okay. Let's rate it. Does Right <laughs> Does the movie pass the Sam's test? Our version of the Bechtel? No, definitely fucking not. No, of course not. Okay, so it didn't pass the Sam's <laughs> test? No. No. Okay. Does it pass the Here comes the science test?
0: I guess so.
1: Mm. Yeah. it Wasn't depicting 1975 well, but like it was in a state hospital. It was making fun a little bit of like the way that the guy was like dancing around, and this guy's like, "I'm tired," and I don't know. It was a bit, a bit, a bit um, humiliating.
0: I don't. Yeah. I don't know that it depicted mental (laughs) illness very well. No. But like in terms of the treatment of people and the way the way the control and the and the fact that realistically, you just had people who didn't know what they were doing because that that was obvious as well every when they had those meetings and it's like the doctors like, so is McMurphy, you know, is he crazy or like, is he a criminal? And you're like, well,
1: there's the two options. Like,
0: what is his actions? What is it that he's doing that you think means he should be in? This institution in this asylum, because I saw nothing that McMurphy did at any point that Mm. justified him being in an asylum versus being in prison.
1: He was just being Jack Nicholson. It's just a funny Jack Nicholson overacting as well. I can't tell if this is just the way Jack Nicholson is acting or if he was trying to act like someone who's pretending to be crazy. (laughs) Can't tell. It's both the same. (laughs) But also the fact that Nurse Ratchet, as I explained, to everybody that registered nurses in psychiatric hospitals weren't in fact the same thing we associate with the word registered nurse. So she would have been underqualified too. And that, you know, someone like that can can rise rise to power and be seen as very competent by the, by the doctors in charge. Mm. So I say it does. Um, I say it does. Yeah. It exaggerates certain stuff, but yeah, by and large, things got much worse even than that, like that was nothing. So, uh, let's rate yeah. it. Oh, it's really hard because of how miserable the content is. Um, I'm going to go ahead and give it a three cause I think it's a really good movie. And I think, mm. um, but I also have right. to minus it because it makes me sad. So I just can't, I don't feel like yeah. learning about all this makes me so distressed that I just can't give it higher than three. Sorry. That's all it gets. <laughs>
0: yeah you? i agree i think i'm like my my head is just saying 2.8 that's just the number that's in that's my how I, that's in, in my brain
1: in your heart because
0: yeah i just i just I, I i don't enjoy the way that the movie made me feel
1: yeah I, feel, I, I like that's the movie the way i'm way not I, I, of... I like it i don't love it people are obsessed with it i'm not obsessed yeah. with it i won't watch it ever again but what are we doing next week yeah. because yeah. I've, I've heard that the movie we're doing in two weeks is something that you would want to watch again and again and again and again and again and again. And again. What is it, well, Abby?
0: Pot- potentially, Frida, if we weren't going to now be on a break for three weeks. But...
1: <laughs> oh, it's in a month.
0: <laughs> uh, yeah, so we're on a break now for a couple of weeks, but we will be back with the next cycle and the first movie of the next cycle, we're finally doing it. Back to the future. How could we not?
1: <laughs> I can't believe I've left it this long. I, I love Back to the Future. I had, I had an absolute blast watching it. I can't wait to talk about it. We'll be back after the break with that. Lux again, Capacitor. So that'll be fun. Get in touch with us science at the movies at gmail.com. Jake the firefighter still will, he will never send us a message. That guy doesn't listen. Um, and you TikTok at science at the movies please follow us on tiktok where we're recording live right now and we'll see you after our break which we both desperately need right my girl yes yes but we'll
0: have a extended episode of geostorm oh yeah (laughs) that was a fun one (laughs) Uh, uncut geostorm episode coming in a couple of weeks
1: that's all we need. Uncut Geostorm, great. That's,
0: yeah, that's what everyone needs in their life.
1: Excellent. Okay, see you. Two see brothers. It. Two brothers. And then Blazers. Bye. Bye.